Hello and welcome. This is Reverend Mark Bishop, Interim Pastor here at St. Paul United Church of Christ in Wapakoneta, Ohio, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We say this because we try to live God's extravagant welcome. You are always welcome to be a part of our family at St. Paul UCC here in Wapak. May God bless us abundantly as we worship together. I know I begin this way the last four Sundays, that every Sunday gets harder, and we are literally coming to the end of that statement. Um, I did a funny thing at the, the confirmation uh, class the other week. I showed them commentaries, and this is the commentary on the book of John by the great scripture scholar Raymond Brown. So what can I say in 15 minutes about this incredibly dense, incredibly difficult gospel? First thing that I can do is set it in the context. Our best guess is that, that this gospel was written down sometime around between 90 and 110 CE or AD. That's important because by that time, there had been several persecutions of Christians that had happened. And so when we read this scripture this morning that Mark so skillfully read, we we begin to understand the meaning hidden within the words, not really stated exactly when he says, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So what is the truth that John is trying to communicate to us? The first thing is, is I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, emphasize uh, the, the spiritual path that, that's called the, the via negativa, and that is what God is not, and I'm going to tell you what the Gospel of John is not, first of all, because I think it'll be really help you to understand how different and unusual this gospel is. 
Knowing the other three Gospels, it's hard to imagine a Jesus who never tells parables. More like sermons when a few of them that are kind of parable-like, but parables are short stories. In John, all of these are changed into sermons. So, for example, Jesus says in chapter 4, Do you not say four months more than come the harvest? Probably referring to what the other Gospels would call the, the second coming or the end of the world. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. Because you see in the early church, St. Paul and the other gospels thought that the kingdom of God was going to come in the first generation. In, the, in Mark, it actually says that you, this generation will not pass away before Christ comes again. And so by the year 90 to 110, there had obviously been a delay. And we can certainly understand that delay in 2023. There's been a little bit of a delay, hasn't there? And so we're still wrestling about that, the coming of the kingdom. But John, again, says almost nothing about the kingdom of God. Instead, he talks in metaphors about a process of transformation. He talks about the kingdom coming like a woman who is in labor in one place. And he talks another in chapter 16. He talks more metaphorically about this. I have... I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. On that day you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and believed when I came from God. The very center of the Gospel of John is the beginnings of the theological wrestlings of the incarnation. You mentioned, who is it that was born on Christmas? You know, the God was born on Christmas as a human being. And, and so the other Gospels really emphasized the humanity of Jesus. And I think you could say that the Gospel of John really emphasizes the divine part of Jesus. Another unique thing about the Gospel of John is the word repentance is never used. Not once. Does that surprise you? Jesus does tell a woman, do not sin again and other folks 
But that's a little different than repent for the kingdom of God is near, which is the message in the other three Gospels. Again, the via negativa, what John is not, there are no stories of Jesus' birth. Instead, we have a very well-developed and sophisticated theology of the eternal existence of the word of God, the, the word which created everything that is. You know, because God's, you, you wrestle a little bit with that, Jill, that words and deeds are separate for us when we use words. But in scriptural terms, when God says something, that, things happen. That's not just word. When God speaks, words have power and bring all of creation into being. And so this notion that, that in this incarnation of Jesus, that something new has happened, something glorious has happened, and, and often that word glorified is used in the Gospel of John. There's also no mention of Jesus' baptism. There's nothing about Jesus being tempted or tested by Satan. There's no mention of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. No condemnations of the rich or words about helping the poor. That shock you a little bit? Nothing about loving one's neighbor or loving one's enemy. And there's only an indirect mention of Jesus' instituting of the Lord's Supper. In chapter 6, it's recorded, The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Okay, so you can see that, that this is a later book that kind of presupposes that you know that story about the Lord's Supper. You know that. And so he's reflecting on that later and say and answering some of the accusations and arguments that non-believers are are wrestling with, or maybe that, that people in the early church gatherings are wrestling with. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Now, I read that passage because one of the things that I think you have to decide as an interpreter of the Gospel of John is to what degree is all of the language in the Gospel of John theological and therefore very metaphorical and to be understood symbolically. There are those who certainly have, have said and, and articulated a theology that says, that when we take communion together, that it's literally the, 
the, the flesh and blood of Jesus. It's called transubstantiation. But there are many of us, myself included who, included, who believe that this kind of language is metaphorical and that, that he's talking about that we must learn how to live together as the body of Christ. That is the most important part of the, the incarnation. And he goes over and over and over and over this tie between the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, the bread of, the, of life, and our current living situation. And so one of the things I, I'm not going to talk about today is in the bulletin. I've listed the seven different metaphors that John uses to talk about Jesus, that they're the seven I am statements. You know, this, this name Yahweh is, is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to meditate on because originally it was uh, considered to be unpronounceable because it's four consonants. And how do you pronounce four consonants? You, you don't. And, 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 and they, the, the Hebrews did that on purpose because they believed that it was, it was sacrilegious to even say God's name. And so here we have a gospel that's saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. It must have been blasphemous to those who were raised in the, in the traditions of the old covenant that said that it was blasphemy to say such a thing and much less for a human being to claim to be God. That's what those, that, those list of metaphors are all, all about. I am is not just a, just a verb to be overlooked. It's a reference to that original scripture and a challenge to rethink the role of God as God has been born as a human being incarnated among us and, and as Jill so aptly said in that example we are taught everything comes together our whole understanding of God comes together. And so John is filled with amazing stories that are nowhere else, nowhere else. The story of the wedding at Cana, only in John. The conversation in the middle of the night with Nicodemus, only in John. The raising of Lazarus, only in John. Washing of the disciples' feet at that last Thursday night before he died. Only in John. And last, there are others, but last one that I want to mention is this prayer, the, the prayer for believers to be united. And if you want to look back in your in your. Uh, bulletin again to, to the first scripture 
chapter, or verse 20. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. That's where the, that little saying on, on the United Church of Christ symbol comes from, is that scripture. It's called the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for the church, that the, that the first and foremost mark of the church needs to be unity and support for each other. Now that's a challenge because you know churches are, are filled with people and people don't think about the same way about anything. So how can we be unified? That's the question. That's the question that the Gospel of John comes to answer. And it is through prayer and through participation in the very suffering and resurrection of Jesus that we are one, whether we recognize it or not, that we are one always. It's an amazing, high, sophisticated, divine theology that you find in, in John. And I'm not, not gonna, I'm not going to pretend that I can explain it all to you. Maybe someday I'll understand it all. It's that challenge, it, it really is. But I won't, don't want you to think that just because it's completely different than the other Gospels, that it doesn't have its own validity. And I, I want to end with just one story that's also only found in the Gospel of John. And uh, just a little background about this story. Uh, it's, real, it's not found in most of the early, earliest manuscripts of John that we have. It doesn't, this story doesn't appear until about 600 A.D. or C.E. In, in the Christian era. 600 years later, it starts to appear in all the manuscripts of John. And so that challenges us to see that the, the Bible itself, and especially this manuscript, is a developmental thing. We, we kind of want to think of the Bible as something frozen in time like right after he died and was resurrected right they wrote it down it was news and so they wrote it down no that isn't the way the bible came to be the bible was gradually developed and remembered the oral stories were written down changed for each author's purposes chosen for each author's purpose and so this last story, I think, demonstrates what John's trying to get at. That this incarnation of Jesus was so amazing that it challenges us to, to new levels of what we are capable of as human beings with God's help.
And so the story is, is that, that story that we often tell about, about Jesus who's in the temple and the, the scribes bring to him a, a woman who's been caught in sin and they say to him, okay, the law of Moses says that she's to be stoned. Now what do you say? Okay. Now, first of all, Jesus knew what was coming, and Jesus knew it was, they didn't really want an answer. They wanted to trick him into saying something that they could use to arrest him and kill him. So it was a, it was a tense situation. It doesn't, it's not really described that way with, with Hollywood imagination, like we're, we're used to, but it was a tense situation, and there was a crowd I don't know about you, but I would get a little uh, afraid in that situation. But not this incarnation of God, this Jesus. He sat calmly and drew with a stick in the sand. There are some, I, li- I like a Hollywood, Hollywood imagination that he drew a fish, right? Your picture, one of the early symbols of being a Christian. I don't know what he was drawing. Nobody knows. But he basically was ignoring them, waiting, waiting. And what happened? The angry crowd sensed something. We don't know what exactly, a power, a a peace, a calm. Gradually, One by one, two by two, the crowd went away. So this incarnation of Jesus was powerful enough to face down a crowd. And yet in the next moment, he turns to the woman and says, simply, where have they all gone? Where are those that accuse you? She says, they're gone. And he doesn't preach at her. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't. He just says, go and sin no more. And so that same powerful incarnation of God in the next moment is more compassionate and kind than we can even imagine. I don't have any idea where this story came from in the sixth century, but boy, I'm sure glad they added it. That's the way scripture works. We find things that are true there that shape our understanding of God and therefore shapes our understanding of who we are meant to be. For you see, John makes a shocking claim. He says that Jesus at one point said, greater deeds than these. Greater deeds than what I do, you will do. Let that one sink in. 
It is a great challenge to the church of Jesus Christ to be more loving, to be more compassionate, to be more open, to be more supportive than we can even imagine. And we don't really belong to this world. We live by a different standard. Bless you as you continue to seek to be the church of Jesus Christ in the world. We pray that you have found blessing and enrichment in joining us for worship today, as we are truly blessed to have you worship with us. Peace and blessings to you, and thank you for joining us today. If you would like to support the ministries of St. Paul United Church of Christ here in Wapakoneta, you can do so in three ways. First, you can mail in your gifts to St. Paul at P.O. Box 147, Wapakoneta, Ohio, 45895. Secondly, you can send your gifts online from our website, stpaulucc.com. Lastly, you can text the amount you would like to give by texting us at 844-971-1800. Come join us again at St. Paul United Church of Christ here in Wapakoneta, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here.